Thank you so much for joining us here at Grace Church's podcast. The following episode was recorded live during our Sunday service. Sermon notes can be found online at grace417.com. We hope this teaching makes a difference in your life. I think we've missed spring. Maybe next week, summer, we'll be here. Hopefully, right? Will you um, turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9? Joshua chapter 9. We're continuing our series. I probably have about two weeks left um, in this series. And uh, I'm just so thankful for what God has done as we've just walked through this account, as we've called, Be Strong and Courageous. As we are identifying with the people of Israel, as they are moving in and possessing and taking all the promises that God has given to them and really moving forward in what he has intended for them. And the application for that in our lives is that as we walk, as they they were instructed to walk in the fear of the Lord, walk according to the counsel of the Lord, a walk in relationship with him, that as we do that, as we do that, that we will experience him fully and be able to fulfill the call, the destiny, the inheritance, the future that God has for us. And, and the thing that we can identify with them so much is that their journey is kind of like this, right? They were successful at Jericho, and then they had AI, and then they were successful at AI, and then today we come to another dip in the road. And I think the reason that we can identify with them so well is that we have common experiences in our spiritual journey as well, where it, it's, we think we're doing good and all of a sudden we look around and like, wow, where did that come from, right? Where did that surprise come from? I wasn't expecting that. And, and so, in fact, Corinthians tells us that we can study the Old Testament, we can study the lives of the Israelites and learn lessons, have application to apply to our own life so that we don't make the same mistakes they made. And so hopefully we'll learn from that. The, the, the big takeaway in a lesson in chapter 9 is that um, common sense um, it doesn't, doesn't always work. The common sense isn't always the answer. There's actually can be with trouble with just relying on just common sense, on just on common sense. I, I, there's a, uh, you know, you have those stories in life you always go back to. And some of you may have heard this before. If you did, I apologize. But I, I have a, a situation in my life that it's kind of like the story here uh, this morning in Joshua chapter 9. In 2004, um, I'd been saving up money, and uh, I'd been saving up for a while, and I bought my dream truck. It was a 2004. I bought it in 2004. It was a red F-150 four-wheel drive XLT, um, just awesome truck, just awesome. Dream. Well, I can't say it's a dream truck because, you know, they have like the King Ranch versions, right? But this was the... Uh, this was the realistic dream truck, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And so I had this truck. It was awesome. Uh, I had it for three or four years. And then, does anybody remember $4 gas prices? Anybody remember that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, some of you remember $4 gas prices. Well, we were living in Rogersville at the time and spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I'd paid it off within two or three years. Um, it was a paid-off truck. Uh, but we were living in Rogersville, and we were paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month for me to drive back and forth to work. And it just was just not feasible for our family. It just was not working. And so I did, you know, what any, you know, father, husband would want to do. I wanted to provide for my family the best. And, and so I had this good asset, and I just crunched all of the numbers. I looked at everything, and I just decided I think the best thing for my family is for me to sell this truck and to buy a like a commuter car. 
And so I did. I sold the truck, and I, it was in 2008. I bought a 2008 um, Yaris, Toyota Yaris. And, uh, I mean, it gets good to ask mileage. It's uh, not a hybrid, but 42 miles a gallon. And it, uh, they run forever, and, um, unfortunately. And, and so I bought, I bought that car. I drive it to this day. And it's, honestly, it's, I, you know, you talk about regrets. I know selling a truck shouldn't be like a, if that's one of your biggest regrets, I guess your life's okay, right? But it's like one of the big ones in my life that I think back on. Why did I do that? And I wonder, I, you know, I don't remember exactly, but I really don't think I truly sought the counsel of God on it. I think I just, you know, used good common sense and applied the numbers. And I think if I would have... I think if I would have maybe be maybe have spent some more time in prayer and or whatever, I think maybe the Lord would have had me keep my truck and buy a you know fifteen hundred two thousand dollar commuter car, you know kind of a you know something that I might have to work on every once in a while, but something that I maybe would have had. That's what I think. Okay, looking back, right? Because you look back and you're like, Lord, would there been another way? Oh, I didn't think of that one, Lord. Well, you didn't ask me, and well, that's true. So I learned, I kind of learned my lesson with that one. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of like the story we come at in Joshua chapter 9. Hannah, um, uh, Pastor Hannah, our children's director, and, and over our next-gen ministry, she preached a few weeks ago in chapter 10 because I was gone. I had her preach ahead because I thought I was going to be ahead, but I wasn't. But, so she kind of skimmed a little bit over chapter 9. So some of you may be kind of familiar with kind of the, the setting of it, what happens, but I'll remind you as well because it's been a couple weeks. Uh, what happens in this story is they're coming off this great Holy Ghost revival. They have uh, the children of Israel. They have this all, time of worship. They read the law. This great victory at AI, and they're ready to to go for it, right? And so as they as they're about to to go for it, um, these these people come into their camp that have that are um, on worn out. Uh, donkeys and camels, their shoes are worn out, their clothes are worn out, they're out of food, the little bit of food they have left is dry and stale and, and yucky, and, and their water bags are empty, their, their wineskins are, are old, uh, they're, they're besheveled or disheveled or dis and besheveled, whichever it is, or both, and they just, they just were, they just were say, and they said they came from a long ways away, that they had heard what, what God was doing, what he had done, and they wanted to form an alliance, they wanted to be their servants, and they were here to, to, to make a peace treaty, and said they were from a long ways away on the east side of the Jordan. And, and so the, the, the people of God, the J- Joshua and his leaders, they, they look, they investigate, they do their homework, they get all the information, they Google search all about these people. And, and get all the history. They look at Wikipedia and see what it has to say about them. And they do all the due diligence that they need for this scenario. And, and this is what happens in verse 14. This is the crux. Circle this verse. If you want to leave, you can go home because this is the sermon right here. Okay. Verse 14. The Israelites sampled their provisions. So they checked all that information, but did not inquire of the Lord. They did their homework. They made the best decision they knew how, but they did not inquire of the Lord. They didn't ask of the Lord. Guys, that's our takeaway right there. That's our takeaway this morning as a people of God, that we have to be more than just naturally led, that we have to be more than just the resources that we're able to get from life experience in our 
and our thinking ability, that there's a supernatural way to live as we seek in the presence of God. We seek His wisdom. We seek His direction. We seek His will of what He wants, that He will lead us in ways, as I read in, in, um, in uh, Psalm 23, He'll lead us in paths of righteousness. Another translation of that says He'll lead us in the right path. He's our shepherd, and the Word tells us that His sheep know His voice. But we have to be willing to ask. We have to be willing to seek Him and to stop and to listen. And don't we make, we make so many decisions every day, don't we? Like the pace of life is so fast. There's so many things coming at us. And so it requires us walking in the Spirit of God, walking in, in, in such a way that we can simply say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's your thoughts on this? How do you want this? And, and he leads us. And it's, for me, it's not with audible voices. I've never heard the audible voice of the Lord. But for me, it's this sensing that I get. This, I mean, if it's, sometimes you can look at his, in the Word and it's very clear. But how I many you know not everything we need is like exact? You can't just look up a chapter and verse on it, right? Like we really need the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's why he infills us. He infills us to lead us and to guide us. And, and so it's this sensing. It's this understanding. It's this, yeah, I, I, I sense that. Lord, this is really what I, I sense you're saying and, or, or saying to do or not to do. And sometimes you feel like a restriction, like, oh, I'm not. so. I, I don't know why. It doesn't make sense. You know, I, I don't understand it. You know, we've done that with our kids before. They'll ask to do something. Or like, you know, I just don't feel good about it. I can't give you a reason. I can't, I can't tell you why. I just don't feel like you should do that. And, and our kids have trusted us that, okay, that, that's all right. And, 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 and sometimes you do that. Uh, just a sensing of the Lord, a warning, or a, a go for it of, yeah, this is of the Lord. And so I think we can get so busy and so carried on in our life that we cannot stop and really inquire of the Lord. And that's what happened. So they didn't inquire of the Lord, and they made a, a covenant, they made a treaty uh, with the Gibeonites, and, and they said that, that there would be this alliance. And, and th- watch out for three days in Scripture, because there's always a revelation. Something, if you see three days, something big is going to happen. And three days later... Sure enough, they found out they were actually just from a few miles up the road. Just a few miles up the road. And, and, and so they were deceived. And so then they, they go, they start marching. The army starts marching. Three days later, they get there, and they're ready to take them. And the children of Israel are like, let's go, let's do it. And, uh, and Joshua's like, we can't. Uh, we made a covenant with them. They, we're, we have this treaty with them. They're like, what? What are you thinking? Like, no, we got to take them. He's like, no. Uh, we have our honor before the Lord. We've made a commitment. We have to keep it, right? And the, as we say in those arcs, come hell or high water, we've got to do what we said that we would do. And so, and so they keep the commitment, and they let them live, but they have them be um, lumberjacks and water haulers. That's another Ozark term, water haulers. They let them be lumberjacks and water haulers in the house of the Lord. And, and so that's our story. Uh, that's, that's if you read chapter 9, and if you, for your fusion groups, there's questions on the app for you to discuss. Read chapter 9 before your fusion group. It'll help you. But that's the highlight of it. And so there's six, for me, there's six takeaways that I just want to just, just briefly kind of hit and highlight is that, um, that the takeaways in, in this chapter. And, and one of the things they encounter here is they encounter the enemies of God. And I think it's easier in the Old Testament stories to see how people encounter the enemy as a God 
of God because they're more like flesh and blood and it's armies and it's war. And we, we can understand that a little bit easier. But the thing is, that's not really what you and I face in life. And so we, we have these different enemies of the Lord. And one of the enemies of the Lord is spiritual forces, spiritual darkness. And I'm not trying to get all, you know, mystical. But the truth is, in Ephesians, we're told in Ephesians 6, that, that there are spiritually dark powers that finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And so we often, you know, when we think of an enemy, a face could come to our mind, but that's not the reality. The reality is, is it's spiritual, and that we have to address it spiritually first. And that's how issues are resolved against the enemies of the Lord. And the deal is, is that as his children, we're the target of the enemies of God. And so um, Charles Spurgeon, a very famous uh, pastor from England in the 1800s, said this. He said, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. So as a believer, he said, you're either a missionary or you're either an imposter. Either you're on mission for the Lord. You're, as the Lord has told us, that we are here to destroy works of darkness. We're here to, to advance the kingdom of God. And as we advance the kingdom of God by loving, by serving, by driving back demonic forces, by, by delivering people, by justice, by um, mercy, by um, all kinds of that, by prayer, all the things that we do as believers, the life that we live, uh, as we drive back um, forces of darkness, you can guarantee there will be pushback. Like it will happen in your life as you're pursuing God and you're following him. So how do you, we don't walk in fear. We're not afraid, but there's a reality that we walk in that, that there's this two-sided aspect of, of overcoming with the power of God right? But also with the wisdom of God, with the counsel of God. And the, the people of Israel, they understood the power of God. They understood routing their enemies, but they were missing was the wisdom or the counsel of God. And both of those things are what help us to overcome spiritual enemies in our life that we face. But not only do we experience spiritual enemies, sometimes those actually, although we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, there's actually people that work against us. And we see in the Bible, we see people who are unbelievers who actually work against the purposes of God. And maybe you've seen this at school. Maybe you've experienced this at work, maybe through bullying or through um, uh, just situations where you'll see an actual person that you know, you can tell if you're not deceived, that is actually working against you and working against what God's trying to do. May, have anybody here ever experienced that? Yeah, I have. And, and so maybe, I mean, I've seen this over and over where a person who loves the Lord, somebody else, a single person, somebody else will come in their life. Or if they're married, it's even like, you know, even worse, but, but there'll be a person who comes in and they're not following the Lord and they'll begin dating them. And then you'll see the trajectory of their life just totally goes off from what God had intended. I'm telling you that person was sent not from God to take that person off track. I've seen people's lives go off track by changing jobs. It doesn't mean you don't change jobs. It means you inquire the Lord as to what he wants. And I, I just and so I'm saying when you're going through transition, when you're when you're looking at situations when things are happening, when relationships are being formed, right? It's something to to really consider. You know, these the people came in, and and it's so interesting to me that one of the tools of deception that was used was flattery. If you read that chapter, you'll see they began talking about the awesome things that God has done in them, and. 
I mean, I'm just looking at myself as a pastor. Like if people, if we had a group of people that started coming here because they've heard of the awesome things that God has done through Grace Church all over the world, that they have to come to be a part of that, like wouldn't that be flattering? Like wouldn't that be, oh, come on in, yeah, have a seat. We've got the front row empty right here. Come on in, right here, have a seat. Right, it would be so flattering. It would be, and I'm telling you, watch out for flattery, right? Watch out for flattery. And, and it's interesting because we see Rahab who made a statement of faith towards the goodness of God, and she put her faith and trust. But the Gibeonites did not make a statement of faith. They made a statement of flattery, and it brought deception. And it's interesting in verses 1 and 2 because you have all the, all the ites, you know, all the Canaanites, the Hizites, the Jebusites, all the ites. They all form coalitions against the people of God. And you'll see that. that um, have you ever noticed in your life, um, sometimes the devil overplays his hands. Um, you'll, if you, you know, something bad will happen. And then if you, like, within a week, like, all kinds of craziness just breaks out. Stuff may break. Kids get sick. Um, just, you don't have any money. Like, uh, have you ever had those kind of weeks? You're like, this is nuts. And then you're like, you know what? Like, this is too much for, like, just normal life. Like, this is more than, this is just, this isn't normal life. This is like an attack of the enemy. And, and we've, we've done like, whoa, 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 whoa. And so then you'll stop and you'll start praying. And you'll start coming against those things spiritually. And then you'll see those situations start turning and start changing. And that's what I'm talking about, about is of inquiring the Lord and hearing him and being able to address those things. Because the enemy does want to deceive and he wants to work against you. But I'm thankful that the Lord has a defense for that. And the defense is the wisdom of the Lord. The defense is walking under the authority that he's, he's given you. You know, one of the greatest things, parents, that you can do for your kids is to teach them to walk in the ways of the Lord and to teach them to honor you, to teach them to obey. Like I know that teach them to obey and teach them to honor is huge. Um, in fact, we even have a parenting class later this week. Um, it should be on our Facebook page. Maybe uh, we'll hopefully be able to send an email out to all the parents in the church. It's, it's later this week, but I'm telling you, teaching your kids to respect you and honor you is your God-given responsibility as a parent. And, and now as a grandparent, I get to do it again. And, and it's, it's so important. And, and there's such a promise with it that, that if you will, if, if, as, as a kid, if you will honor your parents, if you'll trust them, if you'll honor them, if you'll follow them, the Bible says that it will go well with you and you'll live long. It will go well with you and you'll live long. And one of the greatest protections that you can provide spiritually for your kids is teaching them to honor you, and to obey you because it just builds this hedge of protection around them. And when they move out of that, they start moving into rebellion. And I'm telling you, folks, I'm telling you younger folks, younger kids, man, it is not a good thing when you start rebelling against that, when you start dishonoring because it just opens you up for all kinds of stuff. Because that's, you see, and that's where Joshua failed. Joshua was placed as a spiritual leader, like a spiritual parent, and he missed it. He missed it, and, it, and, it, and it, it caused a price to be paid for, for those that were following him. And as those of us are spiritual leaders, as parents, as leaders in church, and, and you have business and stuff, like it's important that we hear God. It's important that we follow him so that we're faithful, faithful to do what he's asked us to do. And so as we look at this, what it, what it leaves us with is, is the importance of having and understanding the wisdom of God, of really knowing 
what the wisdom of God is because we really need to ask him. So that's the fourth point. If you go in your notes, point number four, as a people of God, we need wisdom from God. I believe this, this passage was put in the Bible to, to impress upon us how Israel suffers from the lack of God's wisdom and God's counsel in their life. That this is here for us as we read through this to say, wow, let me learn from them. Let me not make the same mistake again in my life. Let me learn from them. So have you guys, again, another truck illustration. Um, have you guys seen on, on, you know, on TV where they have the, the, um, have the commercials where they have two trucks and they'll be seeing who can pull the largest payload, the furthest and the fastest, right? And at the end of 30 seconds, you're convinced which truck is the best, aren't you? Like beyond a doubt, you know because the proof is right there, right? The proof is right there. You know which one's the best. Well, if you really think about it, maybe it was a little biased, right? Maybe. Just maybe. Maybe it was a little biased. And that's really, that's kind of what was going on here with the Israelites and the, and the Gibeonites. That they looked at the evidence. Their problem wasn't because they didn't ask the right questions. The problem wasn't because they were sloppy in their investigation. The problem was... They didn't pray. The problem was they didn't seek divine insight. Again, verse 14, the Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. The literal Hebrew translation of the last part of this verse says, but the mouth of Yahweh they did not ask. To me, that's powerful. The mouth of Yahweh they did not ask. It's huge. Because what that implies to me, what I understand from that Hebrew rendering of it, is that God has something to say about our situations. God has, whatever you're facing, God has an opinion on it. And I know we know the the phrase, well, God's given you a brain, use it, right? And I agree with that, right? Like, I agree with that. But but as as you face these crossroads, you're trying to make decisions. And you know, one of the things we'll do Right? One of the things we do is we just ask God when we doubt, right? We just ask God when we have questions. We don't know what to do, so we ask him. Okay, they knew what to do here, right? Supposedly, they had all the answers, and I think we can do that as well. Like, we have all the answers. There's no question in our mind, so we just move forward. And I think sometimes we miss God's best in that, that if we would just stop and we'd say, Lord, what do you say about Lord, what does your mouth have to say? What is your heart? Right? Because out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. So that means the heart of God towards you has, has something good for you in that situation. But we have to ask. Right? James chapter 4 says, we don't have because we don't ask. So the reverse of that is if we ask, we will have. James 1 says, if any of us lack wisdom, let us ask of God. And he's not going to be stingy. He's not going to be stingy. He's going to be generous. And he's going to pour out wisdom on everyone who asks for it. We have that promise of him. That as we seek his wisdom, he will give it to us. So we can overcome the enemy by the power of God and with the wisdom of God. So the fifth thing here is keeping our commitments even when it hurts. This is something that I see here. It's keeping our commitments even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. You see, Joshua's concern here is over the honor of God. Over the honor of God. How we honor our commitments reflects on God. 
And I don't think we always think about that. I think our culture is such that, that commitments are, are, um, seem like optional at times. That we treat commitments as, as, as if they're optional. But that's just not the reality of what we see in Scripture. Um, let me read verses 18 through 20 uh, to you. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. Like everybody was ticked, right? They were, I mean, they had all this loot ahead of them. They knew what God had given them. They knew what they were supposed to do. But yet, Joshua had made a bad decision. So they all were grumbling. They were upset. and said, we've given... And this is their, the leaders gave this answer. We've given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They're going to keep their word no matter what. No matter what. You see, I think that that the people following Joshua, the people of Israel, would think something like this, and I think some of us here might have the same thought, that because that covenant was established in deception or deceit, therefore it made it invalid, and they wouldn't be binding to it. Does that make logical sense? Like, well, they, they were lying. Like, we're kidding. That was a false contract. That was a false covenant. The deal is, is there a difference between a contract and a covenant? And so they made this covenant, this promise before God. And their issue was over the honor of God that they knew that if they didn't keep the word that they said they would, that it would look bad upon their God and would tell all the nations that that this God couldn't be trusted. That this God couldn't be trusted. And that was more important than anything else. And so one of the things I think we have to do is just look at our life and say, am I a person that keeps commitments? Am I a person, are my yes, is my yes a yes, and is my no a no? Am I that kind of person? And I'm going to use an illustration. I don't mean this to like guilt trip anybody. Trust me, I'm not a guilt. Guilt is a short motivator, okay? So I don't do guilt. I don't do that. But I can be honest with you, I'm surprised by the number of times ministry leaders in our church tell me about the number of times people don't show up to serve and they're scheduled to serve. They just don't don't show up. And I just like, it blows my mind. I'm like, no, there's no way. I, I, I can't believe it. Because I, just, I know we're not that kind of people. But I think it's part of our culture. And if we're not careful, careful, our culture can seep in, right? Can seep in and can work against us. And we can begin to think like that. And in fact, even one of the points I skipped earlier, even I'll just hit real quick, is that even that I wouldn't call us enemies of God. But, when we, but the Bible does say that as you are, I believe it's in James, that as you... Um, that if you become friends with the world, if you begin taking on the concepts, the culture, the thought process, the thinking of the world, become a friend of the world, you actually become an enemy of God. And what I really think the application of that is that you begin to work against the things God's working on. And, and have you ever seen that in life? Have you seen it in church, seen it in business? People you'd say love the Lord are actually, actually working against what God's trying to do. And in that context in James, usually it's how they're treating each other is the indication of that, of how is their love, is their cooperation, is their serving, is there, are they putting people, others before themselves, right? Because that's opposite of how our world works. But we want to be people who are advancing the kingdom of God, not resisting 
the, the agenda of God. And so we want to be people who keep our words, keep our words, keep, keep our words. Psalm 15, verse 4 says, read the whole Psalm 15. It's great before your fusion group. I love it. Because it starts with the question, the question, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent or the tabernacle where he was housed in the presence of God before the before the temple and then before he ascended into heaven and then sent us the Holy Spirit to abide within us. Lord, who may dwell in your presence or who may live on your holy mountain? Verse 4 says, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change his mind. Who keeps an oath even when it hurts and doesn't change his mind. Sometimes, as is what I've written down, sometimes we're called to live obediently amidst the results of our mistakes. Sometimes we're called to live obediently in the midst of the results of our mistakes, right? Like driving a Yaris to 180,000 miles. You live obediently in the results of your mistakes, right? Have you ever bought something on credit, right? And then about three weeks later, you're like, oh man, why did I do that? That's not near as great as it was three weeks ago, right? But if you're a person of commitment, you pay that. You, 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 you do that. I'm going to tell a story. Cindy, would you, Cindy Burks, would you please forgive me for telling a story about you and using you as an illustration? I'm so sorry. I could do it first service without you here. I'm making it worse, aren't I? I'm sorry. I know you hate this, but it's such a great story. So I'm going to, I've known Cindy for 25 years, so I count on her goodness of heart and her forgiveness well, Cindy is affectionately known around the church as the sucker lady because she always gives kids suckers. If you've had a child here, a grandchild here between the ages of three and five, they leave class with one of her suckers. And Cindy is the most popular person in the whole entire church because every kid that's ever grown up loves Cindy because she has invested in their lives for years. And she's taught all of our kids um, in a few years, when our grandson Bear is able to come home and see us, when it's, you know, he's visiting, he'll get to get a sucker from the sucker lady as well, and he will love her just as much as we all do. But she is an example. Cindy, you are an example of somebody that keeps your word. And I remember, I don't mean to embarrass you, I remember this was probably 10 years ago. I was here working really, really late on a Saturday night. It was probably midnight. And uh, for a number, a number, a number of years, Cindy cleaned all the toilets in the church every Saturday. So when we came in before church, we'd all have clean toilets to use. Because, you know, somebody has to clean toilets, right? We don't always think about that. But everything that, you know, somebody does every, everything that's done. And uh, she was so faithful in that. And it was midnight on a Saturday night. I was like, Cindy, what are you doing here? And she had a very close relative that had passed away. And her, the funeral was that day, that afternoon in Kansas City. And instead of staying there with her family, instead of doing all that, she left and came back here and cleaned the toilets so that you would have clean toilets on Sunday morning and was here to teach your kids and your grandkids on Sunday morning. And I just, I was like, Cindy, you didn't have to do that. Like, we could have figured out something else. She's like, no, it's my responsibility. That's that's my commitment. This is what I said I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. And I just, I mean, am I like that? Are you, I mean, I'm just, that was a gut check for me probably 10 years ago. And I've just, you are a great lesson to me, Cindy, is when I sometimes don't want to keep commitments, I think of you cleaning toilets at midnight on a Saturday night. And I'm like, I can do this. 
I can do. One of the speakers, you know what, let's just give it up for Cindy. I'm going to embarrass her even more. We love you, Cindy. We love you. One of the speakers, uh, ladies, you're in May, you're going to have a, we're doing a pink simulcast. Awesome speakers. It's a Friday and Saturday. Be sure to register. You're going to love it. One of the speakers is Bob Goff. Uh, he's spoken at some of our Foursquare International conventions, and he tells a story about how he was scheduled to speak in Northern California, I think in the city of Reading. So he was speaking at a church in Reading, on a, scheduled on Sunday morning, and then that night, or then the next day, on Monday morning, he was scheduled to speak in Southern California, right? And so he has these, he has these uh, two events, and so he goes to Reading. He's there on Sunday morning. He, gets, he realizes his mistake in that he is actually scheduled to speak that night instead of the morning, but his flight is in the afternoon. And so he keeps his commitment. He speaks that evening. He finishes about 10 o'clock. And he has to speak the next morning, I think at 9 or 10 o'clock, in, in far southern California. Right? What is he going to do? He can't get a flight. He, he, what is he going to What would you do? Right? What would you do in that situation? Well, what he does is he hires an Uber driver to drive him the 10 hours from northern California to southern California. Right? So they're driving through the night. He gets about, they're about halfway there. And he realizes that the Uber driver is more tired than he is. So he offers to drive the Uber driver and his car all the way to Southern California. So he gets to Southern California just minutes before he's supposed to speak. The Uber driver charges him $950 for him to drive himself and his car all the way to Southern California. And then he gets up and he delivers his message and he speaks to that group of people on Monday morning. And I read that and I was like, wow. What personal sacrifice was that? What commitment? Like, would you have done that? Would I have done that? Because there's legitimate ways out of it, right? But no, he was a kind of person. He's an attorney. He's a human rights advocate. He's a speaker. He's a kind of person who kept his commitment, regardless of, of what it cost him. And, you know, I want to be that kind of person. Because, you know, I'll make mistakes. But even when they're not mistakes, even when they're good commitments, I want to be the kind of person that can be counted on to be faithful. And the very last thing, the very last thing, is God's grace. I see God's grace displayed among the Gibeonites. I see His grace displayed upon them. Because as we, as we progress through this journey with the people of Israel possessing all that God has for them, we've so far, this is the third response that we've seen. The first response was from Rahab the harlot who declared her faith in the Lord, who trusted in the Lord, who, who, who and her and her family were saved. So we see somebody who submitted to God, right? And then we see an AI, and we'll see in the future, for numbers of chapters, people who resist, who come up against the God of Israel, who work to attack, to destroy the people of God, who work that way. And that's the other response. This response is very unique. This is not a response of, of faith, it's not, but it's also not a response of hostility. It's, it is a response of deception. But it's interesting because the reason that they, that they work this angle is because of what they've heard of God and of the character of God and of who God is. And even though they didn't approach it right, even though they didn't take the right approach, it's interesting God still honored the commitment of Joshua. He still honored it. And and the jobs they were given were, you know, hauling wood and hauling water 
to the temple of the Lord is, is, is a, is, were roles that actually positioned them in such a place to be able to receive from God. And so it's interesting that later we see the tabernacle as it's moving, we see it being hosted in Gibeon, that the presence of God was there in Gibeon. Maybe it was because that's where all the workers were. I don't know. But it's interesting that the presence of God was there. When Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem 900 years later, the Gibeonites were the ones who came and helped to rebuild the walls. And so I just see the grace of God in this. That even when we don't do things right, even when we make mistakes, even when our motives aren't always right, that God is the kind of God that He can work and His grace is sufficient that, that he will, and we can just count on the grace of God. And let me just add this as a final comment, that just like the Gibeonites were with them forever, so are Yaris's. So if you ever buy one, just know Yaris lives forever. So I'm, I'm just, just saying that. But I do think these are great takeaways that we can have from this, from this sermon this morning, that we will face enemies of God they will try to deceive us and, and discourage us and hurt us and stop us. God's raised up defenses against them. If we listen to him, if we follow his word, his way, his spirit, if we seek his wisdom, he'll give us his wisdom. Well, let us be people who keep our word. Let us be people who keep our commitments. Let our yes be yes. Let our no be no. And then in it all, we serve a God whose grace is sufficient, that he works and he works and he works. And let's never discount the goodness and the grace of God in our lives. Would you guys bow your heads this morning? I want to I ask you a question that if you've been living your life in your own wisdom, in your own way, and you've not trusted your life to Jesus Christ, you've not submitted your life to Christ, you've not turned your life over to Him, now, friend, today is the day for you. Today is the day that you can declare Him Lord and Savior. You can submit your heart and your life to Him that you can do that today. If you're here and you've not trusted Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, and you'd like to do that today, would you, would you let me know? Would you look up at me, make eye contact? Would you raise your hand? Would you say, just, would you just let me know some way, Jay, I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I just I want to be able to lead you in a prayer of commitment to the Lord. That you, would, you just, would you let me know? Anybody here? All right, let me pray for us this morning. Lord, Lord, we face so many decisions every day. Lord, there's, our world has so many options. Lord, there's so many options that previous generations have never had. Lord, there's so much information, Lord, that previous generations have never had. Lord, what we want is to hear your voice. Lord, what we want more than anything else, Lord, is to hear what your heart has to say about us and about our situations. So, Lord, let us not be people who quickly just move on in the best of what seems good to us. But, Lord, let us be people, Lord, who stop, who pray, who say, Lord, what do you think about this? Lord, what's your will on this? Lord, let me really know, Lord. I don't want to miss this. Lord, not just when we don't know what to do, but, Lord, even when we are sure what to do. Lord, that our pride, Lord, would not, our busyness, our pride, our, we got this covered, Lord, would not keep us from your very best. Lord, help us just to slow down and listen to your voice. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your promise, Lord.
that your sheep know your voice and that we'll hear you clearly and you'll lead us in good paths for your name's sake. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Church, can you say amen? Amen, amen. We trust that this teaching made a difference in your life. If you would like more information on giving your life to Jesus, visit us on the web at grace417.com. Thank you for joining us and we pray you have a blessed day.